This episode is sponsored by Better Help. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But I, the fact is, a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially as you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing? In order, you know, that that would make it better. Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is, is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or they, it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is an iFanboy special edition podcast on Batman, the killing joke. They did a bad, bad thing. 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 Hello, welcome to Special Shania Fanboy Podcast on Batman the Killing Joke. The Animation Brain Trust has reconvened. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Paul Montgomery. Hello. And his cicadas. <laughs> And Ryan Haupt. Why, why'd you laugh? I'm here. Is it funny? Well, it wasn't so much about you as the cicadas in the background. Oh, okay. That's fine. They are rattling their asses off. What is the, what is the, the sound a cicada makes, Ryan? <laughs> what does the sound of one cicada make? Uh, they, they, well, they vibrate their carapace. The carapace, uh, it's a, right. It's a mating call, yeah. Oh, so your cicadas are in heat, Paul. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why, I mean, why, why else would you crawl out from your subterranean... Layer and pupate into adult adult form. Oh, man, they are loud. They are <laughs> they are horny today. Right, so, uh, what's what? Before we get to the show, one thing that's interesting about uh, about this whole this whole movie thing is that um, so every week in the yeah, Family Pick of the Week podcast, we we talk about the comics. We talk about we do some listener mail, and then at the end of that, we we give our future schedule, like upcoming shows. And for at least a month, I've been saying this show is going to be delayed because I was traveling for two weeks. Yet, I, we have not received more requests for this show. Are you doing the show? When's the show happening? What's that, what happened to the really? show? Than anything we've ever done. And it's like, we figured out that people just stop listening after the listener mail. Because <laughs> we've been, I've been talking about this for a month. Anyway. Wait, your assumption, your assumption is, okay, it's that they stop listening, not that they simply can't be taught. Well, they just—they just assume that we're done with the content, quote unquote, portion of the show, and they stop. And then... you should have told them to dump more into the Patreon if they want that <laughs> Killing Joke podcast. Yeah, you want that Killing <laughs> Joke show? 
for coughing up money. So this is a podcast on the animated film Batman the Killing Joke, which is the latest in the DC Universe animated original film series. And uh, spoiler warning, if you haven't seen the movie or read the book, there'll be some spoilers. And I thought that before we get to the film itself, it's probably important for a quick, quick go around the horn on our thoughts on the original source material itself, because... I think your thoughts on the source material probably inform your thoughts on the film. I read it when it originally came out in 1988. I was four years old. Um, <laughs> no, I, I read it a very long time ago. Um, I don't know how many years ago it was. I think I was in high school, I guess. Um, and that was the last time I kind of looked at it, except for when they came out with the recolored version. The deluxe edition. So I like kind of flipped through that just to get an idea because there was a lot of talk about the changes to the color and and a lot of people pro and con to the new stuff versus the old stuff and so that's kind of interesting but not uh um technically not particularly what i want out of a batman story i'll say that and and i say that of dark knight returns as well um so i it's it's the same it's the same sort of disclaimer i i you know respect what it does um craft wise uh i think it's a, it's a beautiful book um it's it's one of um Moore's more uh, interesting um scripts uh in terms of what he's doing craft wise in the book the Balan stuff is beautiful not necessarily the subject matter i'm looking for in a batman story ryan uh, i first read it in college and i've read it a couple of times but not really recently I think I reread it not when it was recolored, but when they put out that like all the DC stuff Alan Moore has ever done. Oh, right. Yeah, the, the Alan Moore collection. Yeah, and I think that was when I first heard that Alan Moore himself had kind of distanced himself from the story, which was interesting to me. And well, it's he's, always he's distanced himself from basically everything's written for DC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's uh, there's a bit of a signal to noise ratio issue there because I can't tell how much of his distance from this is particular to this story versus See, this general. story or just particular yeah, just distancing general. from DC comics or distancing from humanity as a whole, like. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's hard. You have to sort of, I think you have to sort of ignore it because he disses himself from anything he's done that's been popular for DC. And the more people talk about something he's written, the more he just seems to distance himself from it. So I I don't, he he may genuinely dislike it, which is totally fine, but he's also basically written off everything he's done. It is this weird finger trap because like the more he distances himself from it, the more DC like clamps onto it. Like, you know, with, uh, you know, before Watchmen and everything else like that. And then the stuff we saw with, um, the latest event stuff was seeing, you know, signs of Dr. Manhattan and stuff like that. Right. It's, I don't know. All right. So I'm fetish there. I'm actually a huge fan of the killing joke. It's one of my top, Five, probably top three Batman stories. Um, I should probably figure out what I made that top five years and years ago. I should probably revisit that. But I, I, I had it as a kid, I had it collected. Well, I guess it wasn't collected, it was a deluxe edition comic. I had it as a kid, I read it probably a hundred times. Was it, was it like a, was it a prestige? It was like a little, you know, they had those little sort of hard, they were comic book size, but they had sort of a hard, like a hard stock yeah. cover, mm-hmm. um, like the, some of the Elseworlds. Did um, it was that kind of thing? I still have the original one I have. I, I had as a kid. Because I mean, how long is the how long is the comic? It's only about forty five. It's only about forty five, forty eight pages, something like that. It's really short. But I, it's, I love the Killing Joke. I, I, it's one of my favorite stories. I have one of those for uh, Death in the Family, and it's um, it's it's very depressing to look at the prices on this. Yes. <laughs> five bucks for a like the original prices. I mean, not that yeah. Yeah. You know. Three different opinions on the book itself, and uh, let's get into the film. So. I think this is a really 
interesting film because, and we're going to get to the, let's talk about the prologue, and we're going to get to the big okay. mo- moment in the prologue, I think, after that. I think the more, the more interesting okay. discussion to me is the prologue itself. So, the, obviously, we just we said how short the original story is. So, they, they make these movies about 70, 77 minutes long. This one's 77 minutes long. Then they felt the need there to fill out the, the runtime with a prologue adventure with Batgirl and Batman. And I, when I first heard that, I thought, okay, that's, that makes sense if you're trying to make the later events in the film more impactful because you really don't right. spend any time with Barbara. She just is immediately shot. Um, so I get, when I first announced, I was like, okay, okay, I get it. But as I was watching it, I was like, God, this is going on way too long. I just don't. It just it felt like two completely. It felt like I was watching two different movies or two episodes of a series back right. to back, yeah. and not one whole piece. Mm-hmm. And I think as a if you're taking a film as a film as a piece, it it really felt really disjointed. Um, right. The two side, the two halves of the story. I just I thought maybe it would be like five minutes. I mean, this this thing, I don't my new my new DVR um, DVD player doesn't. When I pause it, it doesn't tell me how far into the film I am anymore. So I don't know how long it actually went, but it felt like it was 15 or 20 minutes, it felt like to me. I couldn't, I couldn't tell exactly, but it just, I just kept going, all right, when do we get to the Joker? Come on. And I just so I'm, scroll, I'm scrolling through the file right now, and the big moment that we're building to talking about happens about 20 minutes in, but the whole Killing Joke adaptation like direct adaptation doesn't start until 30 minutes in jesus I mean, that's just felt way yeah, too long. Th- yeah i remember them saying it was a 30 minute prologue somewhere um but you said so 20 minutes in is the sex scene yeah and then mm-hmm. okay and then 30 minutes is is 30 minutes is batman walking into, into arkham, arkham. Mi- mirroring the first scene of the comic Mm-hmm. So what did you guys think of the prologue overall other than the, other than the scene we'll talk about in a minute, minute. And it's you know it's it's difficult to divorce this from the fact that this sort of got leaked first the fact that they were going to do this yeah. stuff and you could watch a gif of the um of the scene that we're talking about the the scene where uh Barbara gets into a bit of an argument with Batman uh up on the roof and she ends up knocking him over kissing him and then he doesn't push her away like I thought because I I didn't read the description of it. I just saw the visuals first. And like, I'm like, why isn't Batman? Like, he's going to push her away any minute now because this is wrong. And then instead, his hands go somewhere else. All right, let's jump into it. <laughs> I, have, I have two thoughts on this. One, right. personally, I find it very, I don't want to say offensive because that seems too strong, but I, I very much dislike it problematic troubling a few years ago i was really into the batman beyond comic they were putting out dc was putting out yeah. mostly because uh don't break vocals drug and he's my all-time favorite batman artist but mm-hmm. then it got to the story where it explains uh bruce and dick's rift why they why they finally split up and it's because uh barbara was pregnant with bruce's kid oh and i immediately i immediately stopped reading the book i haven't i haven't oh. looked, looked back since that so, takes it you know, an even further level. I didn't know about that. So I, I just don't. The idea of it ter- kind of turns my stomach. However, I find the outrage interesting because it's clearly not the first time this has been explored. This is, and you guys are both Batman Beyond fans, and I read this right. as something that was said they they were in a relationship in Bat in Batman Beyond. Was that the was that the movie? Was that Return yeah, of the Joker? Yeah, the movie the movie Return of the Joker is where they touch upon whatever happened to Dick Grayson and Tim Drake because. 
in the show, Barbara is the commissioner. She's right. the new commissioner Gordon, which is great. Like she does a great job in that role. And then Bruce is just sitting in the cave pouting the whole time. And you never learn what happened to um, Dick and Tim other than. Yeah, there's a there's a tension. There's like the an cases. unspoken thing. Yeah. But they, but the, in the movie, they, they she sort of explicitly said like I was I was a child. Like in the movie, like Tim basically retired and started a life. Right after after some pretty you know after a horrific case went bad, Tim kind of got out of the scene, and it sounds like Dick never did, but also got more and more resentful of the relationship between him and Bruce, and it definitely is is hinted or at least maybe even said explicitly that Barbara had something to do with that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read that they I read that they were in a relationship. So there's a shot of them, like, you know, photographed as a couple. Um, so, like, while I, while the idea turns my stomach, I don't the shock sort of surprises me because it's not it's not a new idea that hasn't been explored before, right? In the in especially in the in the well revered Tim verse, you know, everyone loves these stories, and it's interesting to me they they find this idea something they keep coming back to, which I. I can't. I don't understand why. You know, we other other we 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 all love Bruce Timm's stories and series, and but there's there's such a misfire on this particular this particular idea. I don't I don't know why this keeps coming up. I think it's I think it's interesting as a thing that they hint at, like you know, they're they're you where the viewer is asked to put two and two together. Um, that's kind of interesting, but, but it, for some reason, for them explicitly doing it, um, and I think also having them do it in service to this particular story. Um, the story doesn't need it. It doesn't need it. Doesn't, it, and it doesn't it, need it. And there was a thought that like, oh, well, they're going to do the killing joke, but at least they're going to give her, you know, her moment because there was all, you know, always the, the rumor and speculation, are they going to do Batgirl year one? That would right. be such a great, you know, one of these. And then there, and then basically them coming out and saying, no, we're not going to do that because we just do Batman stories. We do Superman and we do justice league. That's what we do. And the, the other things don't sell. So, um, this actually doesn't feel like, um, th- this, this feels like salt in the wound more than it feels like, a compromise you know what i mean like it, this this doesn't feel like this it, feels like throwing scraps and those scraps aren't particularly good it just it was weird because as i'm watching it and then as we transition to the to the next story i thought right well if you if you remove that two minute part where they have sex and then the, the post sex argument if you just cut that out it's still an interesting you know mentor mentee tension story you know where the mentee sure. is not getting the getting the praise that she desperately wants from her mentor and it it still really works the moment to moment stuff isn't bad like it's it's a it, we i don't think we mentioned it. it's an azarello script right uh for this whole thing and it's one of their better you know moment to moment scripts um the, i i i do have an exception to that which we'll get to later on but um it's there's a nice uh, i was going to say pacing but the, the the 30 minute prologue does go on too long but there's a, a nice like the scenes can breathe a little bit yeah. more um than the usual uh you know 70 minute things that they've been doing in the in the past several years so there's that so it's it's sort of like i there's a there's a craft to what they're doing i don't particularly like what they're doing and i just don't understand why they felt like they needed to give the moment in the hospital more resonance but he you know, she's basically one of his kids originally in this in the story. Mm-hmm. That's that's just as resonant as someone you, you have a romantic relationship. It's just 
I don't understand why they felt the need to do it. They didn't need. It's no less traumatizing to have your your girlfriend shot than your than your surrogate daughter shot. You know, it's no mm-hmm. less traumatizing for one of your kids, one of your soldiers is 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 injured. You take that scene out, it's still. And I, after the I watched the movie, I reread the book just to get it fresh in my head, and that scene is just as for me as impactful in the book where it's just. You know, when, when, he, when he makes Bullock leave and touches her face and said, Barbara, it's Bruce, for me, that's a really emotional scene. Sure. It, it doesn't have to be because they had just had sex. It could just be because, you know, she's one of his kids mm-hmm. and surrogate kids. And it's just, I don't, I don't understand why. That. The, the one additional thing that the prologue kind of adds is that talk about staring into the abyss. Right. And the idea of this, this nihilistic Batman, like, he, he pushes her away basically because he sees how how innocent she is and doesn't want her to see that abyss, um, doesn't want her to become him. And um, so the fact that they kind of don't wrap up that sexual encounter and we don't really see how he feels about it. We just see it from her perspective um, and her choices. We don't then, then flipping to Batman being the protagonist for the rest of the film. Um, I, I, there's no, so I don't choppy. feel as if I, yeah, it's choppy and I don't feel as if we have an insight into what Batman's thinking. Um, and it just complicates things in a way that's not helpful. So we haven't really, we haven't really talked about the villain cause there is like a villain through line with the prologue as well. And he's kind of like an, I mean, he's a mob, kind of a spoiled mob kid. He reminds me of um, the mob kid from John Wick, if you guys saw that okay. movie. It's okay. good if, if you haven't seen it. It's, it's Keanu it's, Reeves. Uh, Paris Franz. Uh, yeah, yeah. That The name was terrible. But he was kind of like a millennial, you know, with all his tablets and phones and stuff, but also kind of a sociopath or psychopath. I've never... I'm always confused on the distinction between those two. But it was an interesting moment to give... Barbara, an experience with a Joker-like villain before bringing on the heavy-hitting actual Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought giving her a little bit of taste of like just how bad villain these villains can be earlier in the story was interesting. I don't know if it 100% worked, but I, I guess I appreciate them attempting it rather than it just being like her stopping a, a you know a robbery or a mugging or whatever. So, what are your thoughts on the relationship? How it, how it affects the rest of the story or how it doesn't affect the rest of the story. I don't know. It's it, it, it's icky. Like, it's just, I don't need it. They, <laughs> especially because the the adapting a Brian Boland Batman to an animated form, like, there's more there's more lines on his face. And in animation, whenever you add more lines, it just makes him look older. You guys didn't watch the, f- the feature story, on like the little uh, featurette. Right. They they. They didn't even attempt to do Boland. They they chose another artist's style because they just couldn't do Boland's style. But even like just the character design of Batman with like where his cheekbones are at and the shape of the cowl and stuff. Yeah, that was. It, I mean, they they did the the costume design, but the the actual style of the art they couldn't replicate. So they, but sure, it just made Batman look that much older than a very teenage-looking yes. Barbara. Yes, yes, and. Yes. You can hear, I mean, you know, we've talked about this before that we all love Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill in these roles, but at the same time, we as a a brain trust are open to different interpretations of these characters, and at a certain point, their voices are changing, and they're not able to do these roles the same way they did, and so they do sound older. Which I think worked for the second half, Yes, um, but 
not necessarily for, for this prologue. It just makes it ickier, which could, you know, be a choice too. I mean, that I, you know, we're saying it's icky, but I mean, that's probably the intent is that there's a bit of ickiness to it. Um, I did. You know, I did actually enjoy the uh, library interludes with the gay best friend. I know the gay best friend is a total cliche in movies at this point, but I enjoyed seeing Barbara not like training to be Batgirl, but just like working in the library, mm -hmm. hanging out with her buddy, chatting about whatever. Those scenes yeah. I actually enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, like seeing, you know, Barbara be Barbara and Barbara being Batgirl, like that's great. I'd love to see, you know, more of that, um, you know, her her life. And then also just like it is a complicated relationship with Batman um, and and everything that's going on and the fact that she's, you know, the commissioner's daughter and all that stuff. So that it's it's always been a complicated relationship. Yeah, I think, didn't didn't she become Batgirl in the first place because she had a crush on Batman? Yeah, and, and I mean, but that's like, more of like an innocent teenage crush kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, like, yeah, and it's like like play with that. But and that like, just, sure, you can go that way. But then when you when her arc sort of just kind of goes nowhere for the rest of it, it's just very thankless and. I, I feel like if you're if you're going to do all that stuff to her, she needs to have something more going on. And, and like she gets a coda during the credits, yeah. you know, becoming Oracle. But which I liked a lot. Which you know, it, like yeah, for but like tonally, it's sort of it's it, it it's, it's it, it, it felt more like the coda of the choppy. first part of the of the movie, not yes. the coda. It just feels as a, as a whole piece. This isn't this is a problem. But I just just before we move on to the second part, I wanted to. To mention how you just said maybe they intended it to be icky, and I think that would make more sense if this was the first time that's ever come up. But the fact that they keep this crew, because this is Bruce Tim is back for this film, we right. didn't mention he's back as a producer on this film. This crew keeps bringing it up, and that's that's what's weird to me. And not not that this, if this has just been the first time this has ever been brought up, um, and they did it mm -hmm. on purpose to make it icky on purpose, then I would have at least understood that as a choice. I wouldn't have agreed with it, but I would have understood it. Well, this is where they're they're finally like really leaning into it. Right. Um, before that, it was kind of uh, like you can make your own mind up as to exactly what happened, and I kind of prefer that. Um, here, it just feels like well, we're just gonna go there, and you know, uh, we're gonna well, what actually else have is, a scene. What else is interesting is that like Batman, you know, we often talk about Bruce Wayne uh, psychologically being like poorly developed because of the trauma that he experienced yes. when he was a kid. And so you often hear like Bruce Wayne is uh, never stopped. It's being that eight year old that saw his parents get shot. And so is he really functionally an adult and all this other stuff and to the, to that end, this is, I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but like, it seems like whenever Batman has sex, it's always like, he's just accepting that some woman is having sex with him. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This like, is happening. No, right? I mean, I'm remembering <laughs> no, you're that right. super awkward Catwoman thing from from uh, the New Fifty Two, where again, it's not that it's not that I don't think he's being taken advantage of, but at the same time, he never seems that into it. Except it for just except for Batman Incorporated, when he was having sexy adventures with Catwoman. Other than, yeah, so, <laughs> I would agree with you for the most part, but that was a conscious effort to make him sort of the. Sexy but for the part. most part, he is furniture in yeah. these scenes, pretty much. And, yeah, and and wasn't there there was some comic where like all bunch of women that he'd gone out with once all got together for brunch and they were all lying about having had sex with Bruce Wayne because none of them wanted to admit that he'd like bailed on them or something. That sounds vaguely familiar. He's a, he's yeah. a bundle of problems. I mean, he's you know, Icky may be the the appropriate seen here because he he's he can't isn't he can't deal with this yeah i mean there's a reason dick grayson you know 
has all of our hearts and minds when it comes to the the heartthrob. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would call he, yeah. he fits that role so much better. That man is just the emotionally distant brooding guy that is attracts women like flies. Just can't help it. So l- let's move on to the second part, and I should amend something we said earlier. The Killing Joke is sixty-six pages. Okay. Not, not 48 pages, 66. It's still real short. Although, if you think about it, 66 pages, 70-ish minute movie, they really could have, I feel like they really could have just done The Killing Joke and just let it breathe a bit, a bit more and, and not flown through some of the montage stuff and just told The Killing Joke without the, without the first well, what part. Well, what do you feel was, was maybe rushed or could have well, been I mean, slowed you know, down? Well, I mean, in the book itself, you know, when, when Batman's like, for instance, searching for the Joker, it's, it's a nine-panel grid of him going to other criminals and you could have that could have been stretched out to a minute like it just i feel like the integrity of the story was was compromised by making it this two-part thing you know i'm sure i'll be alone in this but actually when you take just the killing killing joke part this is one of my favorite things they've done i thought this was i think it's very well done it was a fantastic uh adaptation i thought the animation was better than they've done in a long time Mm -hmm. it didn't have that gauzy Feeling, you know how the last couple of films have felt like we've been looking through a piece of gauze at it. Yeah, uh, this this looked more like the old animated series series in terms of the quality of the animation. Yeah, they toned mm-hmm. down a lot of the CGI too. Which yeah, I, or at least they like, blended it in better because it wasn't I, as it didn't stick out as bad. I was waiting for the um the like the funhouse car to be CG and <laughs> like, to have this like crazy thing for Gordon to go through, but I actually thought. They kind of rushed through the psychological torture of Gordon, I thought. Um, well, I think, it's already like, R-rated. It, it, we also haven't mentioned this is an R-rated film. You know, the first one they've done, the R-rated animated film. First so R-rated there, Batman anything. There is, like, there's Austin-powered nudity, you know, whenever, you know, Gordon's parts would be on show. Uh, we have a carnival person blocking it or a sign or something. No Jim Gordon uh, junk in this one. There is cursing. There is just like alluding to sexual violence, not necessarily showing it. Um, we do see images of Barbara in that um, fun car ride, whatever you call yep. it, and it's definitely spooky. I mean, throughout, it's yeah. like like the Joker stuff is just they they leaned in on the creepy. Uh, I I really liked um, the scene with Joker purchasing. The amusement park. Yeah, really I did like that scene too. <laughs> with the guy, um, just like like walking around in the rain, and just like the creepy juxtaposition of a a flamboyant and tall and lanky and creepy looking Joker in you know his wide brimmed hat walking around with this carnival guy and this, this very gray amusement park. Like that's that's the Joker at his creepiest. I think it's just. Like a, you know, it's like it. It's like Stephen King, you know, full on. And um, I thought they did a really nice job with that. And and the bit where he's talking to uh, this the carnival owner, and uh, we we see the carnival owner from behind, and then the reveal as the Joker walks away mm-hmm. that part of this time, as we've been sort of in his point of view, um, the carnival guy is is dead from the the Joker poisoning. Uh, it's pretty. You know, jarring visual stuff. It's a great Joker story. I, I mean, I the part at the end where Batman makes this plea that they have to stop. You know, 
it's, it's somewhat controversial because there's a moment where the Joker is a human being again, mm-hmm. where he considers what Batman's saying and says, no, it's too late. We can't, there's nothing we can do. And then he goes back to being the Joker. I, I always liked that bit in the comic and I thought it was done really well in, 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 in this film. Mark Hamill is back as the Joker after he had retired. He said he'd only come back to do this uh, film. I thought he did a, you know, obviously he did a great job. He's I thought I thought he was fantastic in this because he's I mean he's playing that and he's playing the you know, the flashback. Yeah. Um and it's it's not just like he's toning down his voice. He's playing you know, there's it's there's a, a lot of person. nuance. It's yeah. it's a different person. But you can still you know, it's still familiar enough. And I thought I was very impressed with, with what he did. Kind of blew Kevin Connery out of the water a little bit. I uh, agree Yeah, I agree. Although the the Batman stuff is very difficult, I think the 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 thing I'd mentioned before, I alluded to before, was the the card scene with the imposter Joker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't think that scene I, worked. I didn't think that scene worked, and I felt like they're just going right from the comic, right? And like that, those lines don't work, um, or they're very hard to pull off because comics dialogue is not meant to be. You know, TV or movie dialogue. It's Which not I think we see, especially with Alan Moore adapted stuff. I don't know why, yes. but like his his dialogue seems to work so well on the page relative to how poorly it works out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought, I thought Conroy was flat. Yeah. Well, that, that that's the other thing is because these movies, um, granted in this particular adaptation it worked, but because these movies have to be either Batman, Superman, or Justice League movies we get very little Bruce Wayne and I thought Kevin Conroy as opposed to some of the other voice actors we've had do Batman recently always modulated between Bruce and Batman really well, mm-hmm. but yeah, he never has the opportunity guy. to be Bruce anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, he, they can't really yeah. do those stories. And he much. was, uh, and when, then the bit we did get with Bruce was he was unfocused. Like he was talking to Alfred, but he's in the cave. He's, yeah. he's obsessed with, you know, the Joker at that, at that point. So he's playing a distance you know, Bruce. Well, so the thing, you know, the thing is, Bruce's voice to... is the fake voice, right? Batman's voice right, is the, the real voice. voice. So he wouldn't be Bruce's voice anyway in that scenario. Yeah, um, in the cave. He's... Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but I, but I, I just thought, I, I mean, look, he, Kevin Conroy is, for many, the only Batman. He's, he's to me, the best Batman. There have been other great Batmans, too, in terms of voice acting. But I just thought a lot of this, he was really flat. I don't know if it's the director. And, and this has been the problem we've had with the other Batman voices in these in these films is that there's just no emoting in the voice. Yeah, I don't think that w- I, I don't want to put all of that on Kevin Conroy or no. even the direction. Um, I, I do think that that's a scripting problem. That is a very difficult scene because it's a it's a very, you know, back and forth speaking in platitudes kind of scene. Like it's 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 not natural dialogue. But and, also, they had the guy who is impersonating the Joker laughing, sounding exactly like Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. And if you know the story, then you know that this is an imposter Joker. And so it took me out of the scene because I'm just like, why would he sound exactly like the actual Joker? Like, I did, Joker talks, and I guess, yeah, I mean, that's good. It's good. It's like, I mean, that scene and then uh, the scene before it, go, like going into the cell and the, the dentists uh, talking with, uh, it's Bullock, right? It's, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. it's just another cop. It's just another cop? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, talk talking with that guy, it's like that felt, you know, stiff as well to me. How do we feel about Ray Wise as Commissioner Gordon? Perfect, I think. Yeah, he was, I had no, no issues there. For He's, this particular role for Gordon, that's, yeah. he did it perfectly. I like uh, Ray Wise a lot. He's I think he's great as Gordon. It's just for me, I always have trouble shaking Leland. Yeah, 
And so when I hear his voice, I'm always a little, a little creeped out when I shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Wait, because of Twin Peaks or something else? Because of Twin Peaks. Okay. But he, uh, you know, he's got that great quality. To, he, it's a hard to describe Commissioner Gordon quality, but it has to be there, and he has it. It's a bit of a like a milk toast kind of Gordon, but not so much as like the Schumacher Gordons or like the no. Adam West Batman Gordons. You know, like he's still kind of tough. There's, a, there's an edge. There's he's a not an oaf, but like this is this is a guy at his lowest. You know, and right. you have to have you know the family man aspect to him, and you know there's a, there's some heart to it. But this is an old. You know, this is a cop. You know, past his prime, um, just totally defeated and out of his depth uh you know this is this is an hallucinatory experience and i think uh, what you were saying ryan about how maybe a little bit shortchanged on the psychological journey that he has to go through i think ray wise sold it whereas necessarily the visuals and you know set pieces didn't necessarily take us there and honestly i'm kind of thankful that we didn't have to go there like um just just play the scene of uh willy wonka and people going through the you know the boat ride uh, and just all the horrible visuals and stuff, but um, yeah. I thought he nailed the by the book scene where he's you know he's completely broken, but he still wants Batman to bring Joker in by the book. And it's yep. interesting because it is kind of an this story is kind of an indictment of that morality is that you keep bringing him in by the book and he keeps coming out and fucking up everybody's lives and you know not that not that I think he should murder the Joker, but it's, it makes, one of the reasons why I love this book is this, it's all a big gray area. Is that, okay, uh, you keep resting it. Well, I got, I got two things. Again. Go ahead. So, I feel like that's one major theme of the book. The other major theme, which is pretty explicit, is all it takes is one bad day, right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we know that Batman's had his one bad day. We know that, we see the Joker's bad day. We're experiencing Gordon's very bad day, and it's, you know, Barbara's bad day too, but the Joker's the only one who really breaks and becomes oh, whoa, a horrible whoa, person. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I mean, that's Batman. the whole thing, right? I mean, this, this, as much as Alan Moore denies it now, the whole examination of this story is: is is the joke? Is the Batman just as crazy as the Joker? And my my opinion always has been yes. It's just a different. It's just manifests in a different way. Okay, I'd buy that. Um, I think I, I, other... I think that's the point of the final scene where they're laughing together in the rain. Is that they're 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 the they're the lunatics on the roof. So, okay, so I do want to talk about that final scene because I think I looked back at um, the comic to compare it to the moments in those final scenes because it was only a couple of years ago where Grant Morrison wrote that thing about his interpretation of the final scene. Right. Um, You guys remember when this Mm -hmm. hit the internet? And about how Grant Morrison interprets the final scene as Batman killing the Joker, which was not how I read it on my initial read, but in hindsight, I think he's probably correct. Are we in agreement on that or not so much? That's the open to interpretation part, and it, it depends on how you look at the story. I mean, originally this was an out of continuity tale, right. so it, it could have very well ended with him strangling the Joker. But since DC brought it into continuity, you, you know, by necessity, it can't be read that way. I'll say it's an absolutely valid reading. Absolutely, of yeah. And I think I've gone back and forth over the years on whether or not you know in the in this particular story, not the bigger picture in this story. If that's I don't, how it ends. I don't like to assign definitive endings to open-ended stories i just say like that's valid that's valid too you yeah. know what i mean i'll I'd yeah keep it as open-ended 
No, as, so as, the textual read just shows them laughing at the end of the book, and it's that nine-panel grid again. Yeah. And Grant Morrison's evidence was the ha 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 ha's from the Joker's stop right. on the on the last yeah on the last row of panels. Right. And there's that little beam of light from the the vehicle, the police car that's driving away, and the, that beam of light also goes out, which is kind of referencing the joke that the Joker had just told about the guy turning off the light halfway through and letting Flashlight. it fall. Right. Yeah, and which is something you can so kind of how only did you do get... in comics as like the visual of a light shaft. Yep, like as being. And they didn't. They didn't even attempt it. In I was really the movie. disappointed they didn't do that. Yeah, it's such a big part of the ending. It's it's the visual, you know, question of what 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 sure. exactly has happened. They didn't even. I wonder if there are like various versions that they like tried, and like this is the one that looked the best. Right, and then again, you know, like there's this conundrum of showing sound visually on the page versus having to actually record it and play it through a track. Mm. And so what we get in the movie is the Joker does stop laughing, but Batman keeps laughing, mm. even though there's no ha 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 ha's at the end of the comic, implying that Batman is also not laughing anymore. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the things that change in the ending. Uh, what's So the interesting thing there is if you watch it with captions on, as I watch most <laughs> okay. things, and it does say Joker stops laughing. Oh. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. So, but that was a, that was a neat thing that, that most people probably aren't going to see. Um, and I thought I thought watching it visually, Batman putting his hands on the Joker's shoulders, like right near his throat, yeah. uh, was more noticeable than it is on the comics page. Mm-hmm. Like in the comics page, it looks more like he's hunched over to you know, and he's stabilizing stabilizing himself on the Joker's shoulder because of his fit of laughter. Right. Uh, yeah. It's like a that so was, such so, a knee slapper. I need you know I to yeah. brace myself. Yeah. So it's it's such a poignant scene, but I think it reads completely differently on the page than how they were able to get it on the screen. Yeah, I was um I was surprised at how minimal the animation was there. If that makes sense, like mm-hmm. I like I thought there might be they could have done little, a lot more, like a little bit more. Yeah, um, a few it's more frames of yeah, exactly. Um, it's and it's very like the- simple, and I kind of that's kind of neat because like it's sort of um you know it, it's it's a one-liner visually like it's 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 two men two two men on a on a stage basically they don't have a lot of props around it's it's very it's very limited staging for this scene and so it's just two guys talking and so i kind of uh i was kind of, i kind of give them credit for the restraint there but then there's another part of me that's like there's so there, i i wonder if there were other things they could have done visually to add the stuff that you you can't do in animation, but you can do in comics. But there's at least some devices you could try. Um, it's interesting. It's that, that's I mean that's one of the most complex scenes in any comic that I can think of. Right. And and like and watching how, the movie made me go back and kind of critically examine it again. And it's amazing. Like the the I almost want to say like the poetic storytelling in those first couple of pages of Killing Joke and the last couple of pages because the last panel of the story is the exact same panel as the first panel right yeah i mean this is a this is a line and meter kind of comic like it's you would analyze it like poetry versus prose because the rhythm and and, and meter of of this comic are that's why it's it's a, it's just it's a short little clinic you know um and i will always give it that even if i don't necessarily love the subject matter how do you guys feel about what i said a couple minutes ago because I, I by no means am the definitive okay. voice on this, but is Batman as crazy as the Joker? Does this or does this story at least imply it? 
separate from maybe other Batman stories? What do you guys think this this story particularly says about Batman? I, I think it's no secret that Batman is crazy and, you know, whatever crazy means. Um, I don't know. It's kind of, I, but I think it it's kind of reductive to make it um, an apples to apples thing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're different levels of messed up. And when you try to couch it into we're just, you know, two sides of the same coin, I don't know. I, th- I think cognition <laughs> and psychology is a little bit more complex and sophisticated than all that. But as a character, uh, I mean, yes, real human psychology is, is more complex than that. But we were talking about characters. Talking about archetypes. Not necessarily and, yeah. real people. Okay. Yeah. And I do think I do think it, I mean, I think this story is trying to say that. I think in particular, like in the opening pages, he walks right past Harvey Dent with the, the two lines in his face completely separated by a bar. Yeah. And that to me is like very much hinting like these are two sides of the same kind of person. And I think the the message, at least, that we're supposed to take away from it is, yes, all it does take is one really bad day to break you, but it's what you then do next that I, matters. You, know, you, can, you makes, can become the clown prince of crime or you can become a cape crusader. You know? That makes Gordon so heroic in that he doesn't break. Neither of the Gordons break. You know, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's the benefit of the, the the credit scene, as much as it may also feel like the credit scene for the first part, not the second part. It does show that she has not been broken by, right. what, by her one really bad day, and, and Gordon isn't either when he t- when he demands that the joke be brought in by the book. So I, that's to me that's the heroic nature of the piece is is these two guys broke, but these two other people didn't break. In there you, did you guys notice the other bit of uh, iconography, kind of like the, the the line dividing the face, but like the the Gotham storage sign. No, um, there's a there's a bit where Batman's on a roof and he jumps down, and I think he's heading to the carnival or something. I don't know. And um, there's a Gotham storage sign, and it's a right angle: Gotham going left to right, and then storage going top to bottom, mm-hmm. and um, the uh, the T and O of storage blink out. So it says Gotham's rage. Mm. It's kind of interesting. I didn't see that. Interesting. Yeah. My biggest complaint in the film is that at the end of the movie, Batman doesn't ride up in his badass old Batmobile with a giant head. On the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they I mean, missed an opportunity on that. That's one. always been my favorite Batmobile. And really? Uh, oh yeah. By far the giant bat head on the front. I love it. It's so, mm-hmm. I mean, of all the Batmobiles, if that one, let's say you're pulling a heist job in a smoky alley and that Batmobile pulls up, as opposed to all the other Batmobiles, that's the one that's going to terrify the hell out of you, is the, the glowing-eyed, bat-head Batmobile. That's I, my think the, Batmobile. I think the ones, like, my two favorites would be, yeah, that one, and then, like, the, uh, the original Bruce Timm animated series the one that's like the, the one that's in your office, Connor. Oh, <laughs> taking up all the space on my yeah. Just, yeah. just super long, like uh, Art Deco, uh, you know yeah. that thing. I, um, just because it's it's so clean and simple, but then it's but it's also sort of outrageous. And the the Batmobiles that just look like really cool concept cars, I just feel like are missing the point. Right. No. Like the, the if, Batman, it have, if it doesn't have at least one weird spiky fin on it somewhere. Right, you know, or yeah, or like you know, the Batman '89 Batmobile, like that, like just stuff that's just out outrageous, like that. That's I prefer that over something that looks like a cool like electric car or a tank. Right, he doesn't need a tank. He doesn't need a tank. 
He doesn't need a tank. He's got to go fast. He's got to get there. I, I do love the Adam West Batmobile as well. Of course. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously. Okay. <laughs> Atomic batteries to power, you guys. Like, so overall, I mean, as the biggest fan of the Killing Joke, I loved the Killing Joke segment of it. I just, as a whole piece, I can't imagine ever watching the prologue again. I can't. I don't really want to watch any of it ever. Again because, I, like, I know. It, it, I know you won't because you don't like the Killing Joke. But. Well, I mean, well, it, it, but it's all. It's it's also got that like. Um, uh, it, it's 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 one of those movies that like I I respect it, but like I don't want to sit through sure. that again. I'll just say this yeah. as a quick, one quick note before we wrap it up is that uh, as a kid, the scene where he shows up and shoots Barbara always really affected me. It was very very disturbing, and as it's supposed as mm-hmm. it's supposed to be, I thought they. I thought I had the same feeling watching it. I thought they did a really good job. That's portraying. terrifying. Yeah, it's a really scary moment, and it's you know the way they cut between they they, they follow. This is the adaptation that fulfills the promise the most. This is the most direct adaptation. They this is panel for panel almost, and they follow that progression of or the smile, of the gun, the face, and then it just it it was very affecting for me. Anyway, dad working on a scrapbook and everything, and it just everything feels so you know cozy in there. And then you open the door, and uh, even the you know the barrel of the gun, God, it was just it's really scary. I will say this: what, what was the original year of publication for the Killing Joke? Eighty-eight. Barbara, yeah, eighty-eight. Barbara was very ahead of her time with the uh, yoga class. <laughs> that was not in the consciousness of public in eighty-eight. I, and I like the, the the flashback stuff where like you know what what year is that supposed to be you right. know and, and, I, and I like that I like that it's this out oh, of time. Oh, kind I, have, of. I know what I was going to ask you guys before we move on. Okay. So what do you guys feel about this as the origin of the Joker? Is it the origin of the Joker? If it is, do you like it? Is it just one? Well, it's origin? weird because it, like they they show that stuff that which is one particular narrative and then he mentions that you know his my history or my past should be multiple choice which is an add on it wasn't in the book it's not it's not in the book no well i like the multiple choice thing so i, I kind of wish yeah, there yeah. like i kind of wish uh, there were other you know i i think i think they really nailed it with the heath ledger telling a different story every time yeah right. and and i i love i mean i like the flashback sequence stylistically it's just really cool it's it's evocative of that noir gotham that exists kind of outside time like paul was saying where you know we don't know when this takes place you know yeah yeah but it could you know um i'm a big fan of classic noir and you go back and read like some old raymond chandler stuff and other than philip marlowe not having a cell phone like it's pretty timeless right and i like that about it and i think they captured it well both uh i think they did a good job of it in this movie making it feel that it way. It feels like a fable or, you know, like, but I, but, yeah, I, I never like when they prescribe like right. one official bit of lore. I, I like when there's inconsistency because that's scary, you know, like where, what is this guy? Like, I think the only thing we really know for sure is that he was the red hood and had fallen to the chemicals. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's, and everything else is speculation. And this is like, if they came out and said, this is the official origin, fine. I like it, but it doesn't have to be. And if, mm-hmm. if you want, if you want it to be, it can be. Yeah, I think I think once you claim that this is the official origin, then it becomes like that Wolverine origin book where we're all just kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, it just makes them feel smaller. Less interesting than the ambiguity. Yeah. Once you once you know the name, like the real, the true name of something, like that's you have power <laughs> over it. You're getting very occult, magical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the no, one smart that's... thing he did is he didn't in, in the book he gives the circumstances, but he doesn't give him a name, right? Hmm. Yeah. I don't think. He I mean, I really don't like. I don't like that the Joker was the guy who shot the parents in Crime Alley. Oh, no, that's the... The 89 thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's no good. 
don't do that. Not everything has to be connected like that. Exactly. So overall thoughts, as I said, I would, I would rewatch the killing joke part, but probably not the prologue part. I think if people really like the killing joke, it's definitely worth watching. I think if you, if you like the DC animated movies and just I don't, the way we're kind of historians about it and like to see like where they've come from and, and where they've gone and just to see the different changes to this line and going way back to the Batman animated series of old, this is a huge milestone for them and very impressive animation. As an adaptation, I think it's great. Prologue is iffy, but other than that, really, really great performance from Mark Hamill. I think that's sort of the showpiece of this. This is one of Mark Hamill's best performances in anything. <laughs> like, this is just great. Yeah. But, yeah, so I, I have no reservations with saying that about it. This made me more want to go back and reread The Killing Joke than it made me want to rewatch this movie, mm-hmm. uh, if that's a fair statement. Yeah. And I mean, and, and it... And it uh, I think it is a very good adaptation, though, and and I think Bruce Tim actually has a pretty strong track record of adapting Alan Moore stories. Um, I think possibly my favorite episode, or definitely in my top five or three episodes of the Justice League cartoon, is their adaptation of "For the Man Who Has Everything." Mm-hmm. Which yeah, is a great Alan Moore little Superman story. So, you know, for for the guy who claims that his work is unadaptable, I think that these are some high points in showing that that's not necessarily the case. But it did make me want to just go back and pour over the source material again and enjoy that. I have it here. I just keep flipping through to look at the pages because the Brian Boland art is just as a kid, it rocked my world mm. and uh, it continues to do so even even however many years. I mean, that page that page where he comes out of the sewer and takes off the, the Red Hood mask and uh, runs his fingers through his green hair laughing, that's, I mean, that's such an iconic Joker image. Yes. But yeah, all, I mean, all of it, even... I keep looking at, you know, when Batman first laughs on the last page and he says, hey, I mean, that shot, it's just... It's just I've, ne- I've never seen art like this as a kid. And oh, that little half cock smile? Yeah. It's so good. I mean, that's that's a, a surreal image. Like, yeah. not even just within that comic, but just, like, Batman smiling is such a rare thing. I mean, outside of, you know, after the Dick Sprang stuff, I guess. But, like, it, like when you get, you know, further and further towards today, we don't think of Batman as smiling or laughing at all. Right. So that's a terrifying image of someone going unhinged. Yep. Uh, it's just jarring. So. Um, oh, so I have a... So- did, have any of us seen Suicide Squad? No. Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. I haven't either. I was uh, I was away. I didn't. I don't know, Paul. I would just be curious. Like one quick hot take on, on like this Joker versus the new Leto Joker, which I have no context for because I don't really care. Like which is better? <laughs> or just like what? Yeah. Like how do they how do they stack up? Obviously, I know what you're gonna say is better, but I'm just I you know not having seen the movie, I have no context for how seeing it might have affected your viewing of this. Okay. Or, Okay, very very quickly, I, I will say um, the the Suicide Squad Joker they they shoot their wad a little bit too early. You see too much of the Joker, and that's a that's the problem. Like with this, the way they lead into seeing the Joker, like the first time you see the Joker, he's not even the Joker in this, you know, and and that adds to his mystery and the power of the Joker. Um, with Suicide Squad, he's just like a, a mobster who kills common in a very thankless cameo. Um, and uh, there's just way too much of them. It's it's a okay performance uh, by Leto, but there's just too much, in the, and it loses the potency. All right. Well, real quick, you guys didn't watch 
the feature for the next film, which we usually try to mention the next film coming out. Have you seen it? It's online. It's been online for a while. You guys know what it is, correct? We're talking about the The Adam West? No, 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 no. Not the Adam West one. We'll get to that in a second. The next DC Universe animated original uh, film is Justice League Dark. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had heard that. Featuring Matt Ryan's return to Constantine. Yeah, somebody uh, on Twitter asked us about it. Uh, Yep. A while ago, and asked us for our, our hot takes on on how we felt about Justice League Dark. Doesn't look we great. We're all generally. Doesn't <laughs> doesn't, look, but didn't but at, at the time didn't we say we were at the very least intrigued? Sure. I think I think anytime you have a film that doesn't showcase the main characters, you have to be intrigued. But we, but at the same time, you know, listeners of the show know we have not had a good track record on the current creative team movies. Yep. We it just hasn't. They haven't been very good. It's also just kind of, the, the, you know, I was talking about like throwing scraps to the floor, you know, from the King's Table or whatever. But like this is like, you know, we were maybe going to get a Guillermo del Toro version of this as like a live action movie. That was a project that was in development heck for a little while there. And then so for the, it to end up as this animated thing, I don't know if it's a direct line or if it's just like, well, we'll do this. Um, I, <laughs> You gotta take what you can get with the realities of the Hollywood as it is right now, which is a mess. So, if right. this is if, the, if the only way we're gonna get a movie with Swamp Thing and Constantine and Zatanna in it is animated, then I'll at least give it, I'll give it a shot. Oh yeah, it just it just looks like a very clinical version of right. what you could do with these characters. Like sure. t- like it just looks like more of the same stuff. And with this cast, like it would be cool if they did something completely stylistically out there. Well, that's that's my caveat. It's through the lens of the these films that haven't been very inspired in the last mm-hmm. you know last couple of years. They whatever team they settled on has done competent films that aren't very exciting for the most part. Yeah, this is the um, like the analogy would be this is house style for right, DC yes. animation. This is house DC house style, and we would like something like Elseworlds. You know, I don't know, like something. Well, this this film, the the, the Killing Joke, had more style and personality than, yes. than, than the regular ones. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm saying the the Justice League Dark. Right, that's what I'm saying. Style. More in this in yeah, this this, vein, this film felt like its its own piece, whereas everything else in the continuing universe which this is taking place in because the justice league is appearing with the same actors as before well it's weird sort of bespoke boutique yeah. comic book animation is what i want so that's coming later in the year that's usually uh or that's is it later in the year is, is this the second one maybe it's coming at the beginning of next year i didn't look at the review the release date i'll take a look at this next as ryan mentioned there's the, the new batman film which they sprung on us as a surprise batman return of the kid crusaders that's coming out in november and we, we definitely want to do that one. That's an animated film that is taking place in the Batman 66 universe featuring the voices of Adam West, Burt Ward, and Julie Newmar. And Burt Ward does a passable young Burt Ward in the trailer. Really? I didn't, I di- I didn't feel that way. He's super old. and He didn't sound like he was super <laughs> old. He, said he was passably young. I said passable. Young okay. at heart. Okay. So that's exciting. That comes out um, digitally in October. It comes out in Blu- Blu-ray in November, which is when we'll do the review. I'm excited to do that one. So Justice League Dark is also fall 2016. So we'll have two. We'll have two more yep. in, the, in the next quarter. Are we going to do Lego Batman? Does that count? Uh, that's... that's um, it's animated Batman. That might be a special edition podcast since it's theatrical, which we can, th- we can, we can do as a theatrical one. 
because I'm I'm excited about that. that we'll still fun. do it. It just won't be as a. It's a nuance. It's a nuance. <laughs> <laughs> it's still going to happen. Don't worry, Connor. Connor, we got this. It's a different tier of the Patreon, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, but we're looking forward to Batman: The Return of the Cake Crusaders. When I saw it, I was surprised. They they see. Yeah, they, it looks fun. It looks super fun. Um, I love the Batman 66 show, so I'm excited for that. Mm-hmm. So you can look forward to those two shows. You can look forward to the uh, Fan by Pick League podcast every week, which we talk about the week's books, and we'll be back, I guess, in November, but I don't know when Justice League Dark comes out. We'll be back for the next one, and you can... Yeah, do it October, right? Halloween? You'd think so. You'd think so. Yeah. <laughs> but, just so you don't have to send us the tweets, we will be back for the next film. And until then, I'm Connor. I'm Paul. I'm Ryan. Ryan will be on time next time. <laughs> the iFanboy Animated Brain Trust will return. <laughs> Maybe the bad, bad thing. Feel like crying. Feel like crying. You ever told some dirty line awake and thinking about the one you love? Oh, thanks. You ever close your eyes?